Welcome back to Confessions from the Sidelines, and I'm your host, Sarah L. Cowart. I hope everyone had a fantastic summer, and we are back with even more great episodes and conversations. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our partners. Privacy laws make it difficult to help your adult children in an emergency. And as the new school year begins, power of attorney documents for your young adult children is a must-have. These are something you hope you will never use. But when your adult child has an unexpected health or financial emergency, these documents ensure that you have the power to help. That's why I partnered with Mama Bear Legal Forms, where they make it easy to obtain the proper documents for you as a parent. Click the link in the show notes and be sure to use the code SLC20, that's SLC20, at Mama Bear Legal Forms to get yours today. Now, your kid has chosen their school, they've got their roommate, and it comes the fun part of decorating their dorm room. Dorify is a one-stop shop for everything you need for your dorm room, from furniture essentials to even some amazing storage options. Dorify has just what you need to make the most out of your dorm room space. Head on over to dormify.com to check things out and be sure to use the code Sarah L. Cowart at checkout. That's S-A-R-A-H. L-C-O-W-A-R-T. Now, on to today's episode, where you get to take a walk down memory lane with me. Today's guest is my high school soccer coach, David Van Wyke, and this was probably one of my most favorite episodes to record. We all have those people in our lives that make a huge impact on us while growing up, and Van Wyke was one of those people for me. While Van Wyke spent numerous years as an English teacher and soccer coach, he is now the co-owner of Bloodroot Blades, based out of Athens, Georgia. At Bloodroot Blades, they build artisan and custom kitchen knives and other tools designed for everyday use. As you can imagine, this episode turned into a lengthy one. So let's dive into part one right now. David Van Wyck, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) This, you know, I tell people, the listeners of the show know, I get so excited when I have like people in my, from my past lives (laughs) here on the show. And this is such an honor because, I mean... I've known you since what, 98 ish, 1998, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's been in there even even before then, maybe. Probably before then. I think I started at coffee in 96 or 97. Then we're going to go that. Then that's probably about right. Yeah. (laughs) That's way in the past. I like to think, you know, I like to think 1999 was like 10 years ago, but clearly it's not. Um, Not, no. But that's, I mean, that's how we met. You were AP English teacher at Coffee High School and became the girl soccer coach. It was a ride. None of us will ever forget. (laughs) No, no. Very, very interesting. All the way around. All the way around. Because, and people at the show know this, that like I played soccer in high school and played in college as well. But you know, sometimes I don't know that we've gone into a lot of the detail of what happens about that. Sure. But I was actually part of the very first girl soccer team right, at yeah. Coffee High School that year. And when when I have conversations with students and they talk about, well, like my team is just not that great and I still want to play in college. I'm like, sit back and let me tell you a little story. I've got a little story for you. Yeah, well, and I actually had a lot of thoughts about that when I was talking to you about that before. Um, it is really interesting 
my coaching experience has been really interesting because I coached at coffee where we didn't have a, uh, we had a starting team. You know, our team was, was wonderful for what it was, right, but yeah. we weren't in this, in the wins and losses category. We weren't terribly successful. I think what we were really successful at is like having people have wonderful experiences and a life together and like, you know, driving all over South Georgia in a bus. Um, and then I, I taught and coached at a suburban school up here that was more of your textbook, affluent club soccer, ODP player type schools. And like the boys team, for example, went to the semis uh, the last year that I coached before I got like really burned out on it. Um, and there are some differences, but I, I'll say that starting in a rural place with a team that's not very good can also be a little bit of a boon because there were a lot of you guys that used the resources that you had in ways that were inventive and creative. And that's something that kids in resource rich environments where there are lots of ODP teams and lots of club soccer teams, that's the kind of thinking that they don't have to do. Um, and I remember like you don't grow grit out of a surplus of resource. Right. Yeah. You know, you kind of grow grit out of a will. And so like, if you want to do something and like, like stories of things like the Jamaican bobsledding team come to mind where you're just like, <laughs> all right, that's a pretty resource poor environment right there for, for, you know, bobsledding, but it, but it isn't, mm. you know? And so I, I do think that there are resources available within yourself that you can kind of start out with. And I think about a lot of players that got really good doing things like playing with the boys, you know, and like getting out there and get and rough housing uh, with kids on the Saturday and that kind of stuff. And then I saw a lot of kids who were successful on the other end of that too, but who maybe got to college and then quit because college soccer is hard and you're not the best person on your team anymore. And you're not the, you know, so you're not getting the accolades that you were before. And all of a sudden you're in a whole different, you've leveled up and you haven't really had the same kind of challenges that have built character in you. So I think, I think there are both. And I, but and I also want to be clear that I've also met kids with like an incredible character in those resource rich environments who didn't take those resources for granted and who went on to be like really successful human beings. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think that you've heard the phrase like grow where you're planted. I think we can spend a lot of mental energy thinking about what we don't have and let that stop us from actually starting things. Yeah. And 100%. 
and that and I, and I see it myself, right? I want to, I want to start a, I want to start a thing that'll make me happy. But then I'm like, but if I don't have enough resources to finish it all for the rest of my life, then it's not worth beginning. And you just don't know where any of that stuff's going to lead. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, it was an interesting, it, it is an interesting thing to think about going off and playing or going off to a different school or a bigger school or whatever. And I mean, I don't know. You think it's a, everything is a big deal when you're young, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> everything is a big deal. It's like where you go to college is going to determine everything. And, you know, and, and, and it really, it feels like that because it's like right here and all your college and all your like counselors are saying, well, you know, you got to pick the right college. Cause that's where you're going to find out what dog you're going to have when you're 40. <laughs> and you're like, I, you know, and there are all these like implications about what you're going to do instead of like, and then there's also this crazy, I've been thinking about this a lot. Can you think about it? Can you tell? Yeah, I can um, see. I can see the wheels spinning. So for anybody oh. who's watching, like they're they're seeing that as well. Um, I oh man, and then I lost my track train of thought. But like, I think it keeps one of the things that I think I like. I always thought that somebody at some point in my life was going to walk up and hand me the key to adulthood and that life was going to start right then. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and like I, when I went off, I was the first generation in my family to go off to college. And so when I went off to college, I kept on, I, I really expected somebody to stop by my dorm room and say, hi, Dave. Y'all set? Do you know where all your classes are? And that was actually rather surprising me when they didn't do that. And in retrospect, that's like ridiculous, right? But I, I really did think that at some point, somebody was going to hand me the keys to life. And then that was when I was going to start living. And what people are not clear about is that you're basically living right now, no matter where you are or what you're doing. And you at some point will realize that adults are just kids with a, more resources. Yes, yes, 100%. And that sometimes kids are more adult-like than the adults. And sometimes not, of course, but like, I don't know. That was a thing that I wish somebody would have told me that like oh no, no your life starts now yeah like you're you're in college no you you have to learn how to you you have to enjoy this mm -hmm. yeah you don't have a lot of resources but you have a lot of life you have a lot of time you have a lot of like and now that i'm almost 50 i look back and i'm like well all right you know i've got life ahead of me and life behind me and those things are like both of those things are awesome right and my life now is awesome. Um, not unproblematic, not troubling, you know, not, not absolutely, you know, like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in some kind of like movie scene with like wind blowing through the, <laughs> like, 
sheaves of the fields that I own or whatever. But I mean, like, it's, it's, it's life and all it's, you know, unvarnished messiness. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think like as a, a college student, I really thought, oh, wow, life is going to start for me when something happens. And I think the construction is the same construction as I'm going to be happy when. Yeah. And like, that's always like, it's like free beer tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. Just, it, yeah. And, and yeah, you know, and I it's think real like, weird. Like when we were talking about this and like, and obviously over the years, I mean, you've been a person that I was like, Hey, I need to talk through this. Like I need a sounding board. And I think one of the things that you always continue to remind me was like, you have to play the long game. Yeah. Like, like you really do. You're living for now. Like you're realizing that life is now, but we're playing a long game. We're not playing this like, okay. In 30 days in a year, like it is a true, like hitting the long ball and just like, this is the journey I'm on. And I think that, and I mean, you're talking about like, you know, 14 to 18 year old kids who like, right. Like you got a long road ahead of you. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Hopefully. And then like, so like making these decisions, yeah, they are really important. And we talk about on the show sometimes of where like, yeah, we're going to weigh our pros and our cons of it. Like we need to go with our gut. Like we need to find where we belong and in sure. doing so, then that's where you really can dive into your potential and who you are. Right. Well, and knowing, I think that in some ways, like knowing yourself and learning yourself and loving yourself, I think is life's work. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing. And, and when I say that, I don't want it to be confused with like indulging yourself or living outside of like, like, um, the true identity, you know what I mean? And I mean, I know a lot of like 50 and 60 and 70 year olds who are like, yeah, I mean, basically what life is, is you trying to figure out what it is you are who you are, what you're meant to do, how that works with the people around you. And it, and don't confuse that with vocation uh, or, or job or career, uh, because who you are and what you do are not the same things. Right. And I want to pause there because like (laughs) everybody on the show knows I've said it time and time again, when I was sitting in that academic counselor seat across from one recruits across from parents, I never once asked a kid, what do you want to major in? The conversation was always about your passions. What do you thrive on? All of these things, because I didn't care if they came in and were like, I'm going to go to med school. I'm like, great. Well, you don't have to major in biology. Like right. what else could there possibly be that you really enjoy and love? Like we can make this work. Right. And the reason why I bring mm-hmm. that up is because, okay, what you do now, and I'm gonna let you tell everybody what you do now <laughs> is totally different yeah. than you graduating with a bachelor's degree in cello performance. <laughs> right. Real different. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So like, let's kind of like cross that path where like you went to school and got a degree in cello. Right. 
but and now another you, one in English and another one in English, <laughs> but now you make knives and quote unquote, like the right. easiest terms. Yeah. but So, yeah, I, I mean, I, when I was an 18 year old in high school, I, uh, the thing that I identified most with was my ability to play the cello, which I think is what kind of made me different from like other kids. And I think that was what sort of made me feel special somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then like, I, I went off to school with like the, I'm going to be good with the idea that I was going to be good. And I was going to be like a, a professional cellist. That was what I wanted to do. And <clears throat> I, you know, went off to school and the cello thing as a major was a lot harder and more like my teacher was different than I thought it would be. A lot of things were different than I thought that they would be. And in my sophomore year, uh, my teacher was a guy who had his bachelor's and his master's from Juilliard. And I looked at the life that he was living. And then I looked at the life of the musicians around the area. And I was like, you know what? Uh, that's cool for some people, but I don't want to live that kind of life. And so I finished out the degree and I don't know why I chose English to like, as my backstop for that. Cause like, damn, uh, anyway, but, <laughs> but then I, you know, I got started, I was going to be a college professor and I did that for, a, you know, I started looking into that for a while. And then I met a bunch of high school teachers and I was like, we well, you know what, that seems like a really cool thing. And then I did that for a long time. And that was a really fulfilling part of my job and a part of my identity for a long time. And then uh, I moved to Athens. And when I met my wife, Katie, she when she and I got married, I had made friends with a local knife maker that went to our church. And he and I got to talking and we started making kitchen knives together. And then that business took off. And then I had to decide whether or not to follow that or to stay in until I retired. And I mean, thank God I didn't stay in until I retired. Um, but the thing is, you just always do what your hand comes to. And then you sort of follow your gut and the road that's in front of you. I think it's a really dangerous proposition to say, when I am 30, I want to be married and I want to have kids and I want to have a dog and a white picket fence because that may be what you see on TV a lot. And that may be like the social normed, like that's, that is what we show as normal, but that's not how it works out for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get married until I was 38 or 39, you know, and I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to meet the, my partner forever. And I, I didn't. Yeah. And and that wasn't a bad thing because my life worked out different than it works out for a lot of other people. And I'm really glad for that. But I mean, like it just. I mean, I have a. I have, uh, or Katie's got a cousin, my wife's got a cousin who majored in religion and is now an international broker of stocks. Right. I, you know what I mean? You just, I, I mean, yeah, I get it. Some people like have their life planned out ahead of them, but 
I don't know. I think it's a dangerous proposition to, to like expect down the road. Like if X doesn't happen before I am X, then I'm going to be unhappy with things. And I think that's a distinct statement from I'm going to work towards this goal. And if we end up there, great. If we end up somewhere else, great. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's so important to learn, even at such a young age of like high school saying like, because we all know. We've all had these goals and we've all had these like, this is right. what is going to happen. And every single time it doesn't happen. And I'm right. not saying, and okay, for maybe for me, well, most of the time it didn't happen. But right. at the same yeah. time, like, like I never, you know, grew up in a rural town in South Georgia. Like I never pegged myself of someone living in central Pennsylvania. Right. But there I was. Find your sound. Yeah. <laughs> there I was clearing snow off my car for a few months of the year, thinking, right. whoa, this I never imagined like that this was going to be it. But I allow right. things to transpire and to happen and really dive into what's there. And I think that's so important to have this conversation with our high school kids of saying, you like take the college visits, go and look, yep. go and see, dream big. And then that's when you're really going to start living into that true identity of who you are, because we both know that athletic identity is really hard to shake. Oh, yeah. You let oh, yeah. rule your life for so, so long. Well, it's part of like, so I think about being a part of a group is a very primal, like, like even like amygdala driven, like lizard brain oriented sort of thing. And I'm not saying that's bad. Um, It's, you know, it is what it is. And I think part of knowing yourself and learning yourself is learning about the things that drive you and make you what do what you want to do. But the thing is, if you don't make the team, like I took an audition at the, in, at the University of Madison and at, in Wisconsin, and I wasn't good enough. And they told me that. And it was devastating at the time. It was bad. You know, I felt all this like, am I good enough? And but the reality was I wasn't a good fit for them and they weren't a good fit for me. Right. And had and my life path would have been a, a completely different path had that been the case and I, and when i say don't that your goals will end up differently than where you think that they will they'll lead you down different paths i think that that is not to be confused with the fact that you make that you shouldn't make goals i do yes. think that you should make goals i mean like i mean i'm like i'm sitting here thinking you're just showing that notebook and I know a hundred percent for a fact that like you have stuff written down Yeah, (laughs) because I mean, you taught us that, like you taught us like, Hey, like we're going to dream big. We're going to figure this out. Like we're going to mark things down that you're going to work towards. And along the way, we're going to start to learn more information about life around us and ourselves. Right. Well, you're, you're, I think there's this like weird the the construction of I am going to find myself is kind of like 
find you think it's going to be like finding your keys it's another one of those like adults will hand me like at some point i would be you know I'll, I'll be secure and i'll be but i think it's more like knowing and i think the act of knowing is a much more complicated uh nuanced thing and for somebody who's out of coming out of high school into college that maybe don't take it so seriously maybe look at it and more at like you know what am, what am i good at what do i like what do i don't not like i need to know myself as kind of some kind of like weird uh existentialist crisis you'll have enough of those anyway right um and i think it's like i don't know i blame i blame my whole life on a girl in sixth grade named jenny that i you know like i i played cello because i didn't want to be in the band because she was in the band you know what i mean like and and god bless that kid i say i hope she's great and enjoying her life you know what i mean right like and But it's oftentimes those things that we don't think that are going to like the, there's a certain unpredictability to 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 the way that life works. To where you have to be a little bit flexible yeah. because and not take yourself so, so seriously. I mean, I remember Joanne, I, I was having kind of a, a particularly difficult time and Joanne, who was our principal mm-hmm. at the time, was like, David, don't take this the wrong way but you're not that important <laughs> right <laughs> and and it was like oh, oh you know and then what are you talking about kind of, but then that's such a liberating thing like yeah. it doesn't all hang on you like the world yes take some response take responsibility for yourself do what you know do the thing but I think part of our sacred responsibility as human beings is to learn to love and live the life that we've been given and to love the people around us. And for in that way, it doesn't really matter whether or not I'm a, a musician or a high school English teacher or a knife maker it matters kind of more that I'm David Van Wyke and that I try to take care of myself and know myself well enough that I can take care of and know other people. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you have enjoyed today's show, be sure to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to rate and review the show. And don't forget to head right back here next week to catch parts two of my conversation with Van Wyke. And as always, I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines.